0: The Bible is simply saying, if you want to live well in any land, it starts with honoring your parents. You know, the Bible says that in Psalm 23, don't despise your mother when she's old. Listen to your father who gave you life. Honor and respect of your parents. It's built on a family covenant of a lifetime commitment. Today.
1: Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello, this is Today with Jeff Vines. Welcome, my name is Bill, thanks for joining me. Today, Pastor Jeff has another message from his series on the Ten Commandments. This time, he's looking at the verses which tell us to honour your father and mother. So far in the series, we've looked at coveting, stealing, and still to come, the commandments on making idols and other gods. You can hear the whole series wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for today with Jeff Vines. Let's begin today's message now on honoring your father and mother.
0: Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Proverbs 23, uh, verse 12. We're in a series called Ways to Freedom based on the Ten Commandments. I actually have a friend named J. John. He's an evangelist in Europe, does a lot of preaching. Uh, People describe him as a mixture between Billy Graham and Mr. Bean. (laughs) A lot of truth in that, isn't there? Uh, He wrote a book called Just Ten, based on the Ten Commandments. And I, I went through it in preparation for the series, but I really liked what he said on the back cover. And he said, thousands of years ago, Uh, God revealed the framework for life as it should be, simple values for daily living that provide the foundations of our laws, values, and principles. And then he goes on to say, Yet society is slowly moving from this essential guide as these absolute truths give way to the subjective culture. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, Uh, In many of my visits to university campuses, one of the first questions I'm asked is, what is your deepest concern for our culture in America? My answer is always the same. My deepest concern is that we've started to determine what is right and what, what is wrong on the basis of how we feel, subjectivity rather than objectivity and objective truth. And if you do this for a certain amount of time, it's only a matter of time before society disintegrates because feelings do not accurately reflect what is real. Your feelings don't accurately reflect what is real most often. Now, obviously, sometimes they do. But in some cultures, they love their neighbors. In other cultures, they eat their neighbors, both on the basis of feeling. <laughs> filling is a poor guide. And God approaches this from an entirely different perspective. And the argument he makes is from design. He says, the best question you can ask yourself is the question, who made me and for what purpose? What reason? And so I like to use the sailboat illustration. I've done it numerous times now where a sailboat is made for wonderful speed freedom and joy and pleasure out on the open water. But if you violate the design of the boat, if you take it into shallow water or if you point the sails in the wrong direction, it will capsize, it will disintegrate. And what the word of God tries to teach us is that we were made by God. He knows the parameters in which we should live. If we violate the design of this body, disintegration sets in. And ultimately, there will be a metaphorical capsizing that all will come to ruin. So now we come to the fifth commandment. We've been dealing with the commandments going from 10 back to 1. Now we come to number 5 that says, honor your father and mother. Actually, in Exodus 20, verse 12, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. So the question becomes, how does disobeying this command... Uh, cause both the individual and society to disintegrate? Well, the first thing we have to do is understand what the command is all about. And we can do that in Proverbs 23 that serves as a great exposition of the fifth commandment. And we read these words, apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with a rod, they will not die. Punish them with a rod and save them from death. My son, if your heart is wise, then my heart will be glad indeed. My inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. He goes on, listen to your father who gave you life. Do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Wisdom, instruction, and insight as well. The father of a righteous child has great joy. A man who fathers a wise son rejoices in him. May your father and mother rejoice. May she who gave you birth be joyful. So what we find right in the get-go, is there's a direct correlation between the success of a society and the success of the family. The Bible says, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord God has given you. And every time I've read this command and read commentators about it, they'll usually say this. This is the only commandment that gives a promise. If you obey, and they usually say obey, not honor. If you obey your mother and father, you're going to live a long life. Really? (laughs) I know a lot of people who obeyed their parents who died young. That's not what this this, uh, parable, this commandment is about. Deuteronomy 4 expands the commandment. And you have to go back to Deuteronomy 4 before 20 to understand what's happening here. God says to his people, acknowledge and take heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below. There's no other. Keep his decrees and commands, which I'm giving you today, so that it may go well with you and your children. After you, and that you may live long in the land the Lord your God gives you at this time. What's the Bible saying? The Bible's simply saying if you want to live well in any land, it starts with honoring your parents. In other words, if you want to live in a society that flourishes, that's filled with hope and joy, and eternal hope and eternal joy, it starts in the family when the family is built on principles that are lasting, when you honor your mother and father. If you want to be able to send your kids to school without having to worry that somebody's going to come in and empty a gun into the classroom, if you want a society where you don't have to lock your doors at night, if you want a society that's stable, it begins right here. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now, let's just stop for a second. This is not really rocket science, is it? it's not hard. If we raise a bunch of narcissists, what will our society look like? What it looks like right now, right? You'll have an entire generation that think the world's all about them as the individual and not about society as the whole. So when they're given a law, they'll be able to justify to break it if it meets their own needs rather than if it protects or doesn't protect society. If we raise entitled children who are given everything and not required to work to earn it, what kind of a society will we have? The one we have right now, where we expect everything without earning anything. What if we raise children who are taught to disrespect authority and not honor those in positions of authority, mom, dad, teachers, whatever. What kind of society will we have? A society that blames those in authority for everything with no individual responsibility. If we raise children who are taught not to honor those in authority, what kind of society will we get? An autonomous one where there is concern for the individual, but not for society as a whole. Look, I could go on and on in this. I don't think I need to hammer this very often, but the real problem in the West is what? Two words, greed and rationalization. We want what we want. We want it now, and no moral code or law is going to keep us from getting it. We are the ultimate covetors. And the only bad law is the one that keeps us from getting what we want. And then we are very good at rationalization. We're able to rationalize whatever it is we want to do to get whatever it is that we really want to have or think we can't live without. There are no codes anymore. If you'll notice, honor your father and mother is the fifth commandment, which means we said the first four talk about your relationship with God. The second six talk about your relationship with each other and how you're going to get along. And the very first commandment concerning how society is going to be built to provide its citizens comfort and security and hope begins with honoring your father and your mother. Now you say, okay, Jeff, I got it. Now you're going to have to tell me because pastor Jeff, you don't know my parents. They were horrible. If I did half of what they wanted me to do, I'd be in Leavenworth by now. Okay. When the Bible says, honor your father and your mother, there are three assumptions I believe that it makes. The first assumption is this. It assumes that your mother and father are in a covenant relationship. It assumes they're married. Uh, Do you remember how the Bible defines marriage? Marriage is between one man and one woman in an exclusive, permanent, and complete covenant relationship. That is that they're exclusive to each other. They went into the marriage with the idea of permanency till death do us part and they've made a covenant with each other. Now, before I go on, can I just say, God only expects you to treat each other the same way you expect him to treat you. So do you want your relationship with God to be contingent upon anything? Do you want God to say, you're in my family, Jeff, until I grow weary of you. (laughs) You're in my family, Jeff, until you commit a sin against me then you're out. Now, the Bible says that we're adopted into his family for good, that there's a security that goes because this covenant God made with us is not based on our merit, but upon his covenant and his word. God says, in the same way I treat you, I want you to treat each other. I want you to give your word to the one that you're going to marry, that you're going to be together. Now, this is why when you think of the family as a covenant that is lasting, The Bible defines the family the same way. And I love how Tim Keller, and I need to give him credit here because his definition includes both form and content. He says, the family is a learning community built on a covenant of lifetime loyalty. Lifetime loyalty. A family is a family is a family forever. Now the modern view of the family, you may have noticed, is not the biblical view of the family. The modern view of the family says that anybody who decides to live together is a family. Any consenting group of adults who get together and decide to have a living arrangement that will meet their needs is a family. If we move in together and live under the same roof, no matter who we are or what our agenda or intentions, modern day culture says that's a family. The Bible says, no, it's not. The Bible says a family. And what makes you a family is a covenant of loyalty, a lifetime commitment of exclusivity, sticking with somebody saying, I'm with you and for you for the rest of your life until death do us part. And again, the reason the Bible says that is because that's what God does with you. So whatever you expect God to do to you and how you expect God to treat you, he says, that's how you treat your spouse. You enter into a lifetime covenant. Now, the institution of marriage that has been ordained by God is not two people who sign a two-year lease to live together to see how things work. (laughs) Okay, did I have to say that? It's a covenant. That's what's missing. When you just live together, there's no covenant. Marriage is a covenant. The family is a learning community built on a covenant of lifetime loyalty. Do till death do us part. You know, I got to tell you, in today's world, sometimes I think our dogs get this better than we do. (laughs) Dogs are loyal, man. Uh, you know, I never was a big, a big fan of pets until my daughter came to me and said, and you know how daughters are, they bat their big eyes at you. Daddy, can I have a puppy? <laughs> and we were in New Zealand and I didn't want to, but I, you, know, you just had a hard time saying no as a father and she knew to ask me, not her mother. <laughs> so I took her down to Browns Bay, a little area of Auckland there, and we got her first little dog, Milo. Milo lived with us for 13 years and he's a big dog. He wasn't supposed to last that long. Milo was a great dog because Milo slept in her bedroom from the time she got him from the kettle. And I cannot tell you how loyal this dog was to her and to Delaney as well, but he slept in Sian's room. The peace of mind that it gave me, because I knew, man, if you went into Sian's room at night, once that light was off, if you went into her room, you won't be coming out. (laughs) He he wasn't he was a big he was a family dog but there was something about him and I can't explain it. I mean I, I don't I, you know God knows but you just didn't go into the bedroom at night. He would rip you to shreds. In fact, a few times he mistook me for a burglar and I had to turn the light on quickly to show him I'm the alpha dog. Watch out. <laughs> this dog though was so loyal. I I mean I could go on and on about he I don't understand this, and I'm not trying to make this some eerie feary kind of centrifugal bumble puppy kind of statement, but here's what happened. Here's what happened. This dog got cancer and should have died a long time before he died. It was like he knew it was his job to be the best man at Delaney's wedding. So on wedding day, we dressed him up in the tux. And it's like, you know, he's, he's not supposed to be alive. The vet said he's not supposed to be alive. This dog, he's breathing. But this day, he had a good day. And after the wedding, the next day he died. The very next day. I don't know what it is. And I think sometimes animals have something that we ought to have, and we're supposed to be the smartest bunch of the species, that a family is forever, loyalty, and a covenant of marriage between a husband and a wife, and a covenant that you make with your kids. Look, look, when I was younger, I had girls chasing me everywhere. I mean, (laughs) it was embarrassing how many times that I had to say, look, keep your distance. And my wife, Robin, was no different. She just chased me everywhere. Got down on her knees and begged me for a date. And finally, and what convinced me to marry my wife was when my wife said to me one day as my girlfriend, she said to me, you know, Jeff, I've looked at you many times and I've decided just having an experience with you and having dinner with you and talking to you. She said, I want to grow old with you. As soon as she said that, I knew she was the one. And so I had to oblige and make her dreams come (laughs) true. The Bible, teaches, the Bible teaches that two people might come together. They may come together and they may say, we love each other. And they may say all kinds of wonderful things to each other. And the Bible would say, well, good for you. That's nice. But are you willing to make yourself legally accountable to the other person for the rest of your life? Are you willing to enter into a covenant similar to that which God has entered into you with? Are you willing to be totally committed to the other person's emotional, psychological, and economical well-being? And if you are the two may become one. There's a permanent, exclusive, endless commitment. So when I'm speaking with people who aren't married and I kind of share this with them, they'll say, you know, pastor, we love each other just as much as that, that couple over there who's married, and we don't need a piece of paper to tell us that. My response is, okay, then why don't you just get married? If it's just a piece of paper, why don't you get married? And if you press them long enough, they'll finally be honest and say, well, in real life, things don't always work out. So we need kind of a trial run. I need to be able to leave with minimal damage and marriage can complicate things. To which my response is always the same, okay, as long as you understand you're not a family. You're not a family. You can call yourself whatever you want, but a family is not a temporary thing. A family is a learning community built on the covenant of lifetime loyalty. Now, stay with me because, folks, I need to get to the third aspect of this. That's where the home run is. That's where it really matters. But we're not going to enjoy that unless we understand these first two things. And the first thing is, when the Bible gives you the command honor your father and mother, it assumes that your father and mother are in a covenant relationship. They're married to each other, and they've made a commitment to each other and to you as the child. Now, let me just say something quickly. If you notice, in any culture that you enter into where Christianity has had influence, you will find a greater desire and willingness for adoption. When you go into a culture or a people group, that has not been influenced by Christianity, you find incredible hesitancy toward adoption. And here's why. In every other world view, family is blood. Blood, so you don't bring not blood into the family. The Christians totally changed through the ministry of Jesus. They started adopting kids left and right and taking in those children that society had abandoned. And here's why it was primarily based on something Jesus prayed in John 17 when he said, in verse 22, Father, I've given them the glory that you gave me, I've penetrated them with your spirit. I live in them that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity so we can all be one big family. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Jesus says, I want you to love them like you love me. I want you to bring them into the family, but we're not blood with God. We're not divinity, but we are adopted in. To those who believe in him, he gave what? The right to be called the sons and daughters of God. So based on that then, according to the Bible, when you adopt a child, They're family. They're a full-blown family with all the rights and privileges. But it always assumes that the mother and father are in a covenant relationship of longevity. So first, honor your father and mother assumes that your parents are in a covenant commitment called marriage. And second, when he says honor your father and mother, it assumes that as parents, you've allowed scripture to define your role. Now, listen, in one respect, The covenant between a husband and wife is similar to the covenant between mother, father, and children. But at the same time, it's different. It's similar in this respect that you're in it for good. It's dissimilar in this respect. When you get married, there is mutual dependence, right? There's this interdependence that never leaves as long as you're married. You share everything. On my honeymoon, my my wife walked into the room and the first thing she said to me is, Jeff, let's just get this straight. What's yours is mine, and what 's mine is mine. And as long as you understand that, we 're good. And she was right. We share money, we, we share food. you know these couples who are, are supposedly married and have different bank accounts uh, where's the commit, where's the economical commitment? The Bible says you 're not even supposed to get married until you're willing to commit to each other in all areas, and only then are you to experience that kind of intimacy where there's vulnerability. And so in one respect, it's similar. In another respect, it's different. We, we do depend on each other in the marriage. Uh, we share money, we share food, we share dessert. Right, guys? You're at a restaurant, dessert menu. Honey, do you want dessert? She says, no, you just order. And then when it comes, she's on that thing like Tiny Tim on a Christmas turkey. <laughs> I mean, devours it. And that's because that's what marriage is, man. You share these things. It's mutual dependence. Now, Mutual dependence is not the purpose of the parent-child relationship. It's different here because the purpose of the parent-child relationship is for you to get the kid ready to get out. Did you know that? It's for you to prepare the child in such a way that they don't need you anymore. It's not interdependence like a marriage. It's not interdependence. It's you're getting ready so they can fly out of the nest. And sometimes kids have a hard time learning this, don't they? Sometimes parents have a hard time learning this, don't they? And sometimes in-laws never learn it. <laughs> and so, amen. So my father, my father came to me after I graduated high school. Uh, I did not get a Division I basketball scholarship, which devastated me, but I didn't have anybody with wisdom around to tell me, hey, there's all kinds of other divisions. Don't, don't give up on it. So I took a year after high school to kind of just think about what I wanted to do with my life. And I was having a great time my life could be summed up with two Bs, beach and basketball. That's all I was doing for about eight to 12 months. My father watched this for a while. And then one day he came to me and said, hey, you're having a pretty good time, aren't you, Jeff? I said, yeah, it's great, beach and basketball. He says, that's good. You need to get a good job now. <laughs> and man, was he serious. You know, he said, do you think food just appears in the refrigerator by itself? It was my dad's way of saying to me, look, Jeff, my job is to get you to the point where you don't need me any longer. Not that, now, not that I would not honor my father and mother. Not that I wouldn't honor them, but I'm not dependent on them. I'm still told in the fifth commandment to honor them. Example of that, I was 30 years old. Uh, Robin and I had our first child, Delaney. So now I am on my own with my wife and my child. We're home on furlough from uh, New Zealand. And uh, I go to visit my parents over in the little town of Elizabeth in Tennessee. I spend the morning playing basketball down at the rec with all my buddies. We played hours of pickup basketball. Then I came home. It was was in July. It was hot summer, humid in Tennessee. And I walked in and my mom says to me, hey, I'm so glad you're home. I need you to come out into the garden and pick green beans with me. Now, I didn't like picking green beans when she could tell me what to do. (laughs) There's no way I was going to pick green beans now. And so I just kind of said to my mom, I said, Mom, I hated picking green beans then, and I'm hot and I'm sweaty. Man, you're going to do that on your own. And I walked out of the room. My dad saw what happened. And I came in about 30 minutes later, and my father grabbed me by the arm. I mean, he grabbed me hard, hard. And he said, Son, you're right. You don't have to pick green beans. You don't. But you do have to honor and respect your mother. And if I ever see you do that again, your days will not be long upon the earth. (laughs) You know, the Bible says that in Psalm 23, don't despise your mother when she's old. Listen to your father who gave you life. Honor and respect of your parents. It's built on a family covenant of a lifetime commitment. A family is a family is a family. Now, here's the question. Why do you automatically assume that the fifth commandment's for children? The other nine aren't. Matter of fact, a lot of kids wouldn't even understand the other nine. The word honor is not obey because the Bible does not command you to obey your parents all your life but it does command you to honor them. And the Hebrew word for honor, you know what it means? Space. That's the word for it. What? The understanding is that even as you grow older and disagree with your parents, you honor and respect them enough to stop, give them space. Even when they talk about political things you don't care about, even when they talk about their religion, even when they talk about something that just you don't agree with, you give them the space to at least respect to hear them, but you don't have to do what they tell you to do.
1: You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll
0: bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. The modern view of the family and raising children is that we're supposed to throw away hundreds and hundreds of years of the family concept so that we're told now that parents should not impose their beliefs onto their kids. We're told that parents must not instruct them in areas of religion or morality. We're told that parents should not try to exercise authority over their kids.
1: You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me want to dance and sing With every single breath i breathe. I will break this offering You are my wonder You make the wonder Today Today Today